Welcome, everyone. Thank you very much for coming to the yoga, yoga hut. And um, there may be a few more people coming, so you can just think strategically. We did uh, save a lot of room by putting the shoes outside. The monkeys apparently have um, started trading those also. So we kept them inside, but now Chakadola Prabhu has volunteered to be a chokidar for the night to guard the shoes. You get a lot of special um, spiritual advancement from taking care of shoes. There's a devotee named Radhi Sham Prabhu. He just went to Mayapur yesterday, I think, but he works in the shoe room right outside the temple. And he has some mystic potency from getting the dust from the feet and the shoes of the Vaishnavas, so much so that he remembers every face. Anybody who comes in and leaves his or her shoes, he knows exactly where they are and gets them before you're even to able to tell them where they are. And so Chakadola Prabhu is hoping for the same kind of special mercy by washing the shoes. But if you ever get a chance, if someone offers you the opportunity to take people's shoes and run the shoe room, you're in good company because Lord Krishna did that at the Rajasuya sacrifice. He took charge of washing everyone's feet when they came there. So one of the main ways to make advancement in devotional services to get the uh, remnants of food of those who are spiritually advanced. There is a spiritual transference and also um, the dust of the feet of the advanced devotees. In fact, there was a... Is anybody here who's um, new to the Srimad Bhagavatam? Yeah, there's a... Uh, a story about a, a devotee who was especially eager to get the remnants of food, so of devotees. So he went out of his way. It was his goal to, to find every Vaishnava in Bengal and then take the remnants of the food of the Vaishnava. And he made great advancement by doing that. So that's one of the processes of devotional service. So um, we'll, we'll sing a song now that has uh, names of Krishna. They're very special. There are various regions of the spiritual sky, and in those regions Krishna has different names. Just as you all have different names in different regions of your life. For instance, if you have a nickname or let's say you're walking through Delhi in a place you've never been before, and then someone leans out the window and calls you by your nickname. Do, do any of you have a nickname? I'm not going to ask you what it is, because it's, it's too intimate. Uh, but um, if you were walking through old Delhi, you'd never been there before, and somebody leaned out the window and called you by your nickname, how would you react? 
Okay, surprised. Uh, what's the other thought process you might go through? Yeah, somebody knows me, right? Somebody's very close to me. You can use the mic because it goes right into the, the live feed. Yeah, somebody very close to me is calling me, so that's what I will identify uh, with. Yeah, that's amazing, right? So if you're in an unknown place and somebody calls you by your nickname, then immediately you'll think, this is somebody who knows me intimately. And uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught that God and his name are absolute. They're fully spiritual. In fact, all the same spiritual energy and power that God has, Krishna, is there present within his names also. And so <clears throat> there are different levels of names. Some are, are names that he has with his devotees. De a devotee is somebody who has love for Krishna or God and, uh, in a and is in a relationship with him. The, there's an ancient scripture called the Sri Brahma Sanghita that says, Sanitya Nitya Sambandha Prakritishcha Paraivasa, which means that every single one of us has a permanent, eternal relationship with Krishna. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who taught about the system of bhakti, said that the way that you can come close to that relationship or revive it is by saying the names of God. And there are a couple of ways to do that. One way is to do japa. Japa is a way to, uh, that you mutter the name of God. What does mutter mean? M-U-T-T-E-R. It means continuous? It means softly? We're going to ask our research department to tell us the origin of the word. Mutter. To speak in a low, quiet, and often angry voice that is difficult to hear. Okay, you, you could do that, but just don't get angry. <laughs> or you can't get angry <laughs> at your own uh, inability to concentrate, perhaps. But mutter means to say in a low voice. So japa is a way that it's very fulfilling. You can repeat the names of the Supreme. Not many people get to do that. Because, number one, they might not know what the name of God is. Number two, they might come from a tradition where it's not allowed. Some traditions opine that God's name is so sacred that we shouldn't repeat it because we might uh, make an offense. Of course, we have that idea, too. We means those who practice bhakti yoga under the lineage coming from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he taught that we should mutter the names of God, but we should also uh, live a, a life that is clean and um, through which we don't take it for granted. That's the main thing. We don't take the name for granted. We're able to appreciate it when we chant it. But it's, it's really saying it softly, so you're doing it for yourself. So when you say the name, then there's a way that uh, 
you might start thinking um, about the person that you're about whose name you're repeating over and over again. And really, this is the goal of yoga. First of all, the mind should have a place to rest and a place to focus. And when, when I don't have a proper object of meditation or worship, a place to put my mind, then my mind goes to many different places. Like, when you're traveling, do you all bring your smartphone with you? Yes? Did you ever notice that it's always searching for a network? Yeah, wherever you go, you go to a new place or you get in a car, it's, pick, it's searching for networks even on the, on the freeway. It tries to pick up from other people's cars a network. Or if you, you know, check into a, a guest house, it's looking at the seven or eight different options of networks that it can log on to, right? And then, of course, there's networks that you may have already logged on to a long time ago. And then it keeps asking, you want this one? And the mind's kind of like that also. It's always trying to log on somewhere. It can't be without some object. Of course, we've become really expert at training the mind to have about a two-second uh, attention span. It's a, it's a training program. You just get a little screen, and then you go like this with your thumb <laughs> and watch things scroll by. So one of the teachings of bhakti is that there is an ultimate object of meditation, a place where we'll feel satisfied when we place our mind. And just as a smartphone finds a network and logs onto it, and then it's happy, so we can be happy too when we connect to Krishna. Krishna means all attractive. We're looking for uh, beauty. And if we find that, then we'll be satisfied. Well, it just so happens that the same beauty that's in the, in the person, Krishna, is there in the name. You can say the name and then experience the beauty. Uh, beauty. Um, beatitude, uh, a, a, a way of being entranced and satisfied, overwhelmed with the aesthetic of the moment. This is possible by the repetition of the name. And one of the ways that japa, or muttering the name, saying it just loud enough so that you can hear it yourself, is you can self-examine and see how interested you are in the name or how much uh, your mind is attracted to it or is going somewhere else. It's a time for self-observation. How much time do you allot, would you say, in a normal day when you're in your profession to self-observation as a percentage of the day? Approximately how much time would you say? Work with me, people. What is that in a percentage? Five percent. Okay, we have an authoritative answer. Five to ten percent. Self-observation. What does that self-observation consist of? Self-observation consists of like 
uh, no, no, the five percent that you do. Okay, so uh, where I'm paying my attention and uh, I'm getting any results out of that or not. Uh, okay. So that's kind of a self. In there are a lot of books written about this, of time management and self-help books about how how are you using your time, where's your attention going, and so forth. And maybe f uh, considering that one might like to make a profit in business, people consider how much time I'm spending in the right places and so forth. Well, that same kind of efficiency is there in the process of bhakti yoga. Only when uh, <coughs> we focus, we learn to focus on, uh, on the name and notice our own uh, interaction with uh, spiritual energy, then we're, we're making a special kind of progress, one that is uh, recommended by the, the saint, um, Prahlad, uh, when he, he says that we should, um, well, we should give most of our attention to trying to advance ourselves spiritually. And one of the main tenets of that is how we can train our mind to be focused on the source of everything, Krishna or God. And the best way to do that, according to the teachings coming from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is to learn how to focus one's mind on the name of Krishna. So that kind of narrows it down. It, it makes it, it's, it's a little helpful, isn't it? Because then we can see where we would get the best investment of our intention. So japa is one of the ways of doing that, and we can take some, if we could take some time every day to really see how much uh, we're able to uh, uh, appreciate the opportunity to repeat the name of Krishna. And then uh, also just practice focusing and listening and not having anything else to do at that time. And remembering that while I'm chanting that uh, I'm chanting. And because it's possible also for the mind to be doing something else at the same time that you're chanting, just as much as if you're reading a book. Have you ever had this happen to you? You read a paragraph, you're aware that you read the paragraph because you came to the end of the page, but then if you were to quiz yourself about what it was about, you'd have no idea. Have you had that happen? It actually happens a lot because unless we give our attention to something, we don't absorb it. And uh, in, in chanting, the practice of chanting, it's like that. That uh, the main uh, challenge is to be aware that we're chanting and, and keep being aware that we're chanting. And then uh, there's, there's a way in which the, our interaction with the name and our uh, discipline of practicing self-observation, how we're doing, chanting it, it will become very fruitful in our lives. We'll start to uh, have a spiritual strength through which we can give up uh, troubling habits that may um, drain our energy. And um, that, that comes as a special gift from the spiritual process of chanting the name. And then there's uh, the singing of the name. Of course, singing is something a lot of people like to do, especially singing in a group. People go to concerts, and they, certain times, 
they'll hold up a cigarette lighter with a flame and go like back and forth. If it's a ballad, it carries them away. I remember back when we were young and bold and happy. And, uh, you know, many lyrics people commiserate because if they hear a song about somebody whose dog died and somebody took their truck, then they also feel, I had a dog and a truck, and I can relate to this. So people love songs and poetry, and they love music. In fact, even animals like to hear music. It's, uh, it resonates with our soul. So when you put the music and together with this vibration from the spiritual world, oh, that's really something. And, and rhythm as well. Once I was at Govardhan Hill. Does anybody know where that is? It's right that direction. That direction? It's, it's about a 45-minute drive from here. It's, it's a sacred place. And it's a hill that people walk around. And there's a, a group, a musical group, that plays there. One year when I was doing this practice called Padasevan of walking around the hill and meditating as we walk around. They, I ran into this musical group, and they were doing a kirtan together, but it was, it was so raucous, and the rhythm was so gripping that I couldn't pass. Means, I mean, I had space to get by, but my, I was so attracted to it, I just sat down. And then, I, and I kept trying to get back up again, but I couldn't, I couldn't leave, because the, the rhythm was so gripping. And the enthusiasm of everyone there was uh, intoxicating. They kept looking at me and smiling, so I'd smile. And so there's a, there's a group meditation that can help lift us up from uh, whatever state of consciousness we may have slipped into. That's possible, right? Please say yes. It makes me feel better. Um, and then... You know, we pick up the energy from the other uh, members who are singing along with, along with us. And uh, then we might also notice that, oh, I've, I feel uplifted. I feel purified by this. There's, there's ways that we can observe ourselves and how we get purified. A friend of mine uh, just uh, was telling me, he's a publisher, and he uh, had published a book about from Japan about forest bathing. Have you heard of forest bathing? Well, when you walk through a forest, you've heard of it, Dameshwar? You walk through a forest and you feel better about yourself. There's a purif purification where you're, you're in an area where there's uh, higher energy. And uh, when, you, when you come in contact with that, then uh, your consciousness changes. And so, there's a way which, by coming in contact with a group that's singing, uh, sincerely singing with, you know, they're not trying to make money from it. They're, uh, in other words, it's not like a musical entertainment where, you know, we're going to do three encores and that's it, we're going home. And uh, they have this sense of devotion. Well, what happens is from, uh, and this is kind of miraculous, the principle is that is that that uh, sound carries consciousness. It's kind of amazing. And so what the, the level of consciousness of the people who are chanting 
if they're sincere and they are uh, connected with uh, a practice, a spiritual practice, then you'll start to notice that you're getting the residual effect of being around them, but especially when everyone's singing. Because then there's this, com there's this, uh, um, pardon? Okay, synergy. It's a little too scientific. I was looking for something a little more poetical. You can get, you can win something on this one if you come up with the right ambience. Ambience is okay, but it sounds too much like ambient, huh? Collaboration. Yeah, harmony. What? Aura's nice. Yeah, I'll take aura, but it's a little new agey. Um, cohesiveness. Yeah, that's nice, but a little too technical. There, there's a, uh, a mixing of the sounds, and it, it, it creates a, a vibration that lifts us up. And we can, we can feel sometimes emotions that I'm connected to the spiritual world. We can't necessarily um, clearly define it, but, but it, it evokes something from deep within our hearts. This is a, something that I think we all look for as sentient beings is a sense of belonging to a place and home. We're, we want to go home. And we also want to feel emotions, especially love, unabated love. And that, that's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught. He's the one I keep mentioning who taught about this process of chanting uh, the names of God in order to purify one's consciousness and, and develop uh, this uh, sense of love for God in which you, s you see his presence everywhere. Even though he has an individual personality, then you start to see how this, the, this, um, the qualities of the source of everything are, are within the whole creation and, and certainly within the living beings who are like sparks that are part and parcel of that supreme pure consciousness. So you can one can resonate with that, with that vibration and then uh, become purified by it and live in that state of beatitude and a, f a feeling of uh, seeing all living entities equally by the process of chanting Hare Krishna. So we say chanting Hare Krishna because this is a, a mantra and uh, mantras are uh, especially um, when they're <coughs> Passed down, they're like seeds. They have a, a, a code within them. A seed has a code, and when you water it, it opens up and it reveals the fruit. So similarly, the chanting process. In fact, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave a, a, a verse. He gave a series of verses, uh, metaphors about what spiritual life, that spiritual life is like gardening, and that one has to become a gardener. Tahan vistarita hoy pali prema pal ihan mali sheche nitya shravanadijal. Beautiful verse. It says, uh, "You know what a mali is? The gardener. Who said that? Are you Bengali? Okay. Mali means the gardener. Hare Krishna. Thank you for coming. And." Um, <clears throat> 
and sheche, uh, sheche means to sprinkle. Now, what are you going to sprinkle on that uh, seed that will make it grow into something with beautiful fruit? It's called, um, they didn't speak English, so they were going to stay for the kirtan, but I didn't start a kirtan. I've been talking so much. Uh, what are you going to put on the seed? Sheche, what are you going to sprinkle? Wait for it. Shravanadi Jal, everyone say. Shravanadi Jal. So Jal, Jal means water. Shravanadi means uh, spiritual sound. And other practices, but especially spiritual sound. So when you chant, then you, uh, the, the Hare Krishna mantra, then you're watering that uh, spiritual seed that is in your heart. And then it'll sprout and it'll grow. So the verse says, Tahan Vistarita Hoi Pali Prema Pal. What'll happen is it'll leave this world. You'll still be here walking around looking for your driver's license. By the way, it's in the back under the bed. Um, and, but you're going to, the creeper, it, it grows, the seed sprouts into a creeper, and then it goes outside the material universe, and there's a spiritual universe beyond this universe because the world we live in is a reflection of the spiritual world. And, you know, we got the reflected part, not the real part. So the, the creeper grows, it can penetrate the coverings of the universe, and there are many, and they're thick, and it can go all the way to the spiritual world. And there, it establishes a relationship with Krishna. Remember I said that? That's the most important thing, we have the relationship. And so, uh, it says, the verse, that is, Tahan, there. Tahan means there, up there. Tahan vistarita hoi pali prema pal. There, you're going to get a fruit from the process of chanting. Fruit's going to come out. Gardeners, back me up on this. You get fruits, right, when you grow stuff? Okay, fruits and flowers. And then it says, Iha, in this world, Iha means here. Iha, uh, <clears throat> you start here by watering. Iha uh, Mali, be a gardener while you're in this world. Iha Mali. Sheche nitya shravanadi jal by watering. And then uh, the magic happens. Gardeners know that uh, they have to be a little attentive to grow the plants, but the real magic happens by uh, some otherworldly power for plants to grow and come up. You know, we can't make an eggplant, right? But we can grow one. So that, that's, uh, that happens by shravanadi jal pouring or sprinkling the water of hearing and chanting means spiritual sound. What do you all think? Does it sound like a good idea? But only half good, right? Full? Okay. All right, let's chant just a little bit. Prabhu, would you come up and play the drum? And if there's a certified cartalist, please volunteer. So the, the first uh, song I'm going to sing has those uh, intimate names of Krishna that uh, when you hear them will start to remind you of the spiritual world and uh, the relationships with Krishna there in the spiritual world.
I first offer my respectful obeisances to my spiritual master, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and to all of you. Thank you very much for being fellow travelers on the path back to the spiritual world. Hare Krishna. And uh, <clears throat> let's proceed by uh, taking a couple of reflections. Anything you heard so far from the monologue that's stuck in your mind that you can reflect back. Yes, Shyam Bhakti. Here comes the mic. You get it in seven seconds or, or less, or your money back from tonight's seminar. Okay. Hare Krishna Maharaj. So earlier you were mentioning about like how the remnants of the devotees and dust of the devotees' feet are so important. So just I, I've been coming from Mayapudham, and a few days back I was just crossing Prabhupada Samadhi near Prabhupada Samadhi, and uh, so uh, one of the sweeper was sweeping the dust near the Prabhupada Samadhi, and the pilgrimages who were passing, they said, "Wait, wait, wait," and then the sweeper said, he's, "He he just jokes. Uh, he just joked with them, and he said." It's bhakta dhuli, it's bhakta dhuli. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, 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 I also felt, see, uh, you know, the, as Prabhupada also says in one of his purport that how the sincere uh, sweeper on the street can be better than the charlatan medita meditator. So, and uh, I was just thinking, yeah, you can be in Mayapur and you can be near the sweeper in pra near Prabhupada Samadhi and you can get mercy by itself. You don't have to do much. So that's what I was thinking. Yes. So duly means dust, and sometimes it's described that there's personified foot dust of the pure devotees. That uh, especially in, I mean, it's referenced uh, elsewhere about, in a commentary about how one should be careful around uh, everyone, but especially those who are uh, on the spiritual path, because the dhulis or the personified foot dust will become angry with you if you're not careful. Also, um, it's a well-known story in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which tells about Akrura, who came as a messenger to Vrindavan from Mathura, and he was on a dastardly a mission because he was sent by the king at that time named Kamsa. Kamsa was a bloodthirsty, very greedy person, so much so that he had threatened to kill his own sister on her wedding day when he heard a prophecy from the sky that said, you will be killed by the eighth son of your sister. He was actually in a expression of so-called love for his sister driving the chariot and when he heard that he grabbed the hair of his sister and pulled out his sword and he was about to decapitate her but he was dissuaded from doing so by the his sister's new husband named Vasudev and um, that's the, the character of Kamsa actually he's an iconic character and he uh, had one mission in life, which was to get Krishna out of the way so that he could unabatedly enjoy the world 
and he had designs on actually killing Krishna. This is sometimes the way people think, either philosophically or literally, in the case of Kamsa. They would like to obliterate God or kill him. And, of course, that's not possible, nor is it possible to kill any, anyone. Ultimately, you can kill the body or dismember it to the degree that the soul can't stay in it, but no one's ever killed. We just transfer one from one place to another. To another. So Kamsa had a plan that he would have uh, one of his men go to Vrindavan, pick up Krishna and Balaram and bring them back to Mathura, and then he would have them killed. So he had a few ways of doing that. One of the ways was they had a killer elephant named Kuvalayapida. And also there were some wrestlers that were known to be the, the best uh, wrestlers in the whole world. And they were quite deadly, actually. And they, were, they would be waiting uh, for Krishna. And Kamsa had uh, a scheme cooked up. So now here's the interesting, well, it's all interesting, I hope. But it gets more interesting because Akura is actually a soft-hearted devotee of Krishna. But he works for the government. Have you ever had anything like this happen? Where your um, alliances get crossed? So Kamsa called him and said, I'd like you to go get Krishna Balaram from the uh, Vrindavan and bring them back here. And I have a plan to kill them. So on his way to Vrindavan on his chariot, Akrura was thinking a, a few things. One of them was that even though the Externally, the mission doesn't really look that good, does it? He was feeling that I, my heart is sincere. I'm a devotee. I'm going just to, to uh, be with Krishna. And he was imagining how when he got there, Krishna would, his beautiful hand, his, all his limbs are extremely beautiful. And he was thinking, he'll, he may put his hand on my head. And I'll get such a spiritual benediction from that. And also, when he entered into this uh, town of Vrindavan, he saw the, the footprints of Krishna on the earth there. And he stopped his chariot. And he tumbled off the chariot. Hare Krishna. He tumbled off the chariot and he rolled in the dust of Vrindavan and felt uh, spiritual ecstasy doing that. And um, there's a, a practice uh, at the hill I told you about called Govardhan. Of course, people do it all over this area. But it's called Dandavat Parikrama. How many of you are familiar with Dandavat Parikrama? How many of you have done Dandavat Parikrama? How many of you want to go right now and do it? Yeah, <laughs> you could do it. Uh, what, the way it works is you have, you hold this, I mean, there's various uh, ways you could do it, but one of the ways that's very popular is you have a, like a stone in your hand, some kind of marker, and so you, uh, dandavat means a stick. So you kind of fall down 
not full force, but you know, people get down and f flatten themselves on the ground, and then they put the rock down as a marker. Normally, I see people try to put it as far away as possible. Uh, but anyway, you're going in a circle, so it uh, doesn't really matter. So you put the rock down, then you get back up again, and you, you put your toes where the rock is, and then you fall back down again, like that. Some people, they have a stack of rocks, like 108, and they'll be in one place for a while, and they'll do that 108 times, then they move once. And if you come back a month later, they're a little further down the road. Here's my point. There is a point. And that is that I've never seen anyone doing Dandavat Parikrama that was unhappy, which is kind of interesting because, you know, they're falling in this uh, prone position on the ground and they, f they feel, uh, I mean, they feel blissful and happy. Some of them look a little tired, but it's a, a blissful tiredness that you can see. And sometimes they bring their kids too. And instead of going to see the mouse in Orlando or Los Angeles, where you have to pay, I don't know, $8 for a Pepsi Cola, and uh, you end up broke and, and uh, very um, frustrated. Uh, those who come to Govardhan and they uh, go around like this, they feel very happy, satisfied, the whole family does. There's a, there's a way that the, the heart feels satisfied. I tried it once. I have godbrother named Madhava Maharaj, and it was uh, 2001, I believe, for, for the uh, Prushottamas. It was in the September, so it was really hot. And uh, Vrindavan gets really crowded around that time, around Prushottamas. In fact, uh, we were going every day around Govardhan Hill, walking around, just walking. But I had a pact with uh, this devotee, Madhava Maharaj, before we came to India, he had called me up and said, what do you think? I said, I'm doing it. If you're doing it, I'm doing it. And the Purushottam kept getting, moving on further and further. And he, we called each other a couple of times, said, are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> so we finally went. It, it was just around Radhakun, Shamakun, but it, it was enough for me, to be honest. So we got there at night late in the evening and uh, we went around and it was quite crowded and when it's crowded or at any time actually there's no predicting what might be on the ground and that's all I'm gonna say uh, except for you know the first few times that I fell flat on the ground and then moved to the next part I landed around or in you know some of that stuff um, it's not as bad as you think. Because actually, I started feeling that I can't really get any lower right now. Uh, and it was an expression I kept feeling that again and again I was doing that uh, made me happy. And after a little while, I didn't really care about the external aspect of my life, like you know, what my friends think or, um, you know, how does this look? I just got absorbed in the activity and I, f I felt 
uh, I felt happy. And so there's, happiness is uh, available on a very simple level uh, based on our, our devotion and, and also uh, submitting ourselves. It sounds funny, but because oftentimes uh, I think that I have to be protective of everything in order to be happy. I have to keep what I have, my reputation, uh, the way I look, the way, uh, how, uh, how much I have, uh, how many things I have, how much money I have, and so forth. These things tend to define me. In the bhakti scriptures, uh, <clears throat> the teachers like Rupa and Sanatana Goswami describe these uh, kinds of, of um, a dependence on, on these external features as uh, they're called upadis. They're artificial for the soul. We really don't have any connection with this world. In fact, there's an astounding statement given in the ancient scriptures that says, Asango hyayam purushaha. Little soul, you have nothing to do with this world. Nothing to see here, actually. Nothing belongs to you. It's, it's, and so when I get attached to things here, it's, it's, it's a false designation. And it's compared to if you take a, a, career, a clear crystal and you put a red rose next to it, then the crystal turns red. So my question to you is, for 25 points, is it actually red? What do you think? Can you back that up? How do you, how do you know it's not? In the presence of rose only, it is red. When the rose is not there, it is no more red. So that shows that the color of the, the original color of the crystal is not red. Okay, that sounds good to me. Uh, it's actually the the case that uh, we don't really mix with the material world or the lower energy of this world, but. There is a projection. We project ourselves into matter by looking at it and thinking that maybe I can have this, and it becomes a part of us. We have to carry it around in our consciousness. And we get tinged by our connections here, even though they're uh, artificial. So these are called upadis. And spiritual life really means purifying our consciousness of these false designations. And there's a process to do that. Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught in a simple phrase, Cheto Dharpana Marjanam. I had this experience today in the MVT room we're in. If you take a shower and there's any warm water that comes out, afterwards, the mirror fogs. Did you notice that in your cool? The mirror fogs, and uh, you can't really see yourself very clearly. No matter where you look in the mirror, it's very difficult. And it's, I was thinking of that today when I was trying to see myself in the mirror. And uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that our original clear consciousness gets fogged over by our connection to the material energy, through the upadis. So when we can purify that, then we feel naturally happy. So one of the ways... Uh, that we do that is through simple acts of bhakti, and one of them is bowing down. In fact, it's recommended in the, in the uh, Bhagavad Gita, called Namaskuru, 
means if you just bow down, you feel uh, it's an act of devotion. I, I think uh, some people do it regularly in a scheduled way. Have you seen that? There's a, a group, they have this devotion for God, and then wherever they are, they'll stop, and they'll put out a little mat, and then they bow down a bunch of times. It's a, it's a naturally satisfying kind of uh, activity. Boy, I really went a long time just on that one comment. So can somebody else make some more reflections? Yes, please. I really appreciated the way you described that uh, sound carries consciousness. Um, it made me reflect that as I was walking in here, I was a little frustrated at my roommates. They locked me out for the second time today. So I was thinking of, <laughs> I was thinking of chastising them when they got back from their little whatever they're doing, right? But then after hearing you speak, it uplifted my consciousness. And I'm like thinking to myself, why am I going to trouble them even if they troubled me? So I was reflecting like how not only does sound carry consciousness, but it could also create like a chain reaction of consciousness. I was nice. very disturbed and now I'm uplifted and I don't want to probably be graceful with them now. So. Yeah. Thank you. That, that's a, a really good... Your pool is starting off. Let's go. Yeah, and the, 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 the point about um, uplifting the consciousness through sound. This is uh, one of the most uh, um, pointed instructions uh, for those who want to uh, keep themselves in spiritual consciousness. It's possible to stay in spiritual consciousness and not slip out. That's possible. And so there's a way to do that. And that means you have to keep the transcendental vibration going. If you keep the transcendental vibration... Yes, please. That we don't belong to the spiritual world or this material world. We belong to spiritual world. So, but uh, we come across different uh, kind of activities and different, different kind of duties we come across also. Like if we are staying here, we cannot say this world is not real, this world is also real. And whatever duties we face, we have to do, perform, is a part of spiritual world. But if we, if we want to, you know, uh, differentiate it from the spiritual world, we're going to land up in the world of Maya, Maya. Because it's also Maya if we consider that we are not living in the, we are different from spiritual world, we are not living in spiritual world. Because both these, both these worlds are, you know, interconnected with each other and whatever we perform, whatever our duties are only for our purification, like that, uh, that will lead us to, you know, some better place where we can actually perform some good, some, some good duties and some more duties toward, towards our Supreme Lord. And uh, I think that it is, it's only a matter of our consciousness that we change our mind and we, we are in, actually in the spiritual world. But uh, we also say that, that uh, we are here in material world, but our body will die. But we actually belong to the spiritual world. <laughs> this is the thing. Can you, I agree with, I think, 99.9% .9 of what you said. I, I mean, it didn't say the last percent because I'd have to review it again. But um, do you have a question? No, I had a comment. <laughs> okay, comment. Thank you. It's well taken. The comment is well taken because this is definitely comes under the category of a conundrum. Can somebody look it up? What is a conundrum? Research department? 
it's a it's from 1590s oxford university slang for pedant also vim etc later in 1790 it became like a riddle or puzzle also spelled conundrum the sort of ponderous pseudo latin word that was once the height of humor in learned circles so it's a puzzling situation thank you so it's puzzling how the the spiritual entity gets mixed up in the lower energy that's kind of puzzling and the other puzzlement is that a word can i use puzzlement as a word any scrabble players here <laughs> okay um <laughs> is how to how to live a spiritual life even as we're working in this world as uh, we're duty bound to do we have duties to do otherwise we may um find ourselves out on the street working in a car wash no i'm thinking of my parents no i'm just kidding uh that you we have to maintain some status quo in the, in in this world and at the same time can one cultivate spiritual life even as one lives in the world and and one of the most beautiful examples krishna gives in the, in the gita all his examples are beautiful but here's here's one of them he says brahman yadaya karmani sangam tyakva kurotiya lipyatena sapapena padma patram ivambasa he said live like a lotus yeah you're in the world but be like a lotus what does a lotus do in the water basically it sits there but the water splashes it up upon the lotus and then it just runs right off it's uncanny when you look at a lotus how it uh, repels water that's why the example is so apt and if you get time in the summer is when the lotuses come out generally to go and visit a lotus pond and sit there and just watch it and then think of this example so krishna says that a lotus isn't touched by the water even though it lives in the water in fact it's called padmaja ja means to be born in padma means mud so it's born in mud at the bottom of the pond and then it grows up and it's in mud it's in water but it's never touched that's beautiful isn't it so krishna says that brahmanya daya karmani sangam tyakva kurotiya if you work in the world but you internally remain unattached to the result of your activity then although you're working in the world you you're not uh besmirched does everyone know what that means okay can somebody look it up better be good this time give us a good definition that was a lot of etymology the last time besmirched i mean just the word sounds like you got smeared by something right i was besmirched <laughs> after so he says brahmanya dai karmani sangam tyakva kurotiya lipite na sapapena so pop pop means that you get uh, 
a reaction because you did something that was against the laws of nature and it's it's going to hurt what do you what do you have be smirch are you okay entangled we'll see if we'll judges will accept that for 25 points go ahead discolor to make dirty okay so you, you don't get uh, smeared by the material energy, even though you're working in it uh, under these circumstances. Brahmanyadaya karmani sangam tyakva. The sangha or the connection to it, you, you're working with it, but you don't touch it. So how do you do that? We'll go watch a bank teller. Do you know any bank tellers? Go in and ask a bank teller, can I watch you for the day and see how you do? So then you can watch and you can see the bank teller is counting out uh, rupees and taking in rupees. And how many of the rupees does he or she take from the stack and put in his or her pocket? You sure? Okay, because if he or she took even one rupee, they're fired, right? Not only that, their reputation is, they're besmirched. That's besmirchment. <laughs> besmirchment happens when you claim something, you steal something that's not yours, connect to something that is unsavory. And so if you watch a bank teller, a bank teller doesn't think this is my money. It just counts it out, puts it back in, goes home for the day, and lives clean as a bean. But if our said bank teller takes one single rupee, and I don't know if there are any single rupees anymore, let's say 10, takes a tenner off the top and stuffs it in his sock, and then they, f they find out you took 10 rupees out. How much is that worth in U.S. dollars, 10 rupees? Seven cents? That's enough to get you fired. It's the principle. It's not yours. Don't be attached. So. Uh, Krishna says, if you live in the world with this sense that it's not mine, and in fact, here's, a, here's one of the ways that, that um, Prabhupada puts this. He says, uh, a devotee is one who sees the whole universe as paraphernalia to be engaged in Krishna's service. And if your mind is trained to see everything in the universe as paraphernalia that you can use in Krishna's service, then you, you don't get besmirched. It never, you never touch it. So if you're working and you say, okay, according to Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, I'm, I have to maintain my body, that's okay. Based on the Sri Upanishad, which says, uh, everything animate or inanimate, that pretty much covers it all, within the universe is controlled and owned by the Lord. One should therefore accept only those things necessary for oneself that are set aside as one's quota, and one should not accept other things knowing well to whom they belong. So if... If that's how you live, then karma It says you won't be besmirched.
you'll live in the world, but you'll, you, you'll be free because you're not attached to it. Even though you go through, you do your due diligence to uh, secure whatever you need to put together for your hierarchy of needs. Uh, but the Bhagavatam brings it even to more focus in, in the following verse, if I may. Permission? Kamasya nendriya pritir labo jivete yavata jivasya tattva jignasya narto yasheha karmabhi. Here's the prescription. Live a ba balanced, healthy life just so that you can inquire about the Supreme Personality of Godhead and make spiritual advancement. That's why you should do your due diligence, not for any other reason. Then you're okay. Did that answer the question that you didn't ask? <laughs> okay, it's a good conversation, and I'm glad you brought it up. Okay, maybe we have time for maybe 10 or 20 more. Just kidding. Go ahead. I was appreciating the point you were talking about. Um, just your experiences with walking around Govardhan. Chaitanya and I went there today. And the reflection coming to my mind when I was out there was, I used to walk a lot before I was in devotional service. And there was never really anything I got out of it. I was just going to one place and having to go back to the other place. But there's nothing... But in the middle of the Parikram at Govardhan today, I was like, why, why are we so happy doing this? And then I was also thinking of the verse, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam, and just some of the simple acts of devotion that you see when you're at Govardhan, because you see a lot of simple people doing simple things, but they're very, very happy doing it. And I was just feeling very grateful for how easy devotional services and the more simple our mind becomes, the more grateful we can appreciate the simplicity of that. And that's really what I feel attracts Krishna, is that simplicity of heart. And so, as just a reflection on our experience today in relationship to what you're talking about, Padasevanam, and how simple devotional services, but how, how blissful and sublime it is simultaneously. Thank you. I couldn't agree with you more. It's a beautiful reflection. In fact, Staying out at Govardhan during the Kartik season, I relish watching people on the Parikram. Because from our fortress, I call it a fortress, not a palace. Some people say the Govardhan Palace is not really a palace. It's a fortress to protect you from the material energy. And you can see uh, pilgrims going around uh, Govardhan, no, this way, Govardhan Hill, and it's satisfying just watching the simple act of them walking. And the other interesting aspect is they're going in a circle. As you pointed out, walking from here to there, purposefully going from one place to another, thinking I, I have to be there. It's a um, linear proposition. But going around <laughs> Covernant Hill, you end up in the same place where you started, if you make the complete circle. And you're doing it just uh, out of devotion, walking out of, walking for Krishna. It's really beautiful. Okay, we'll take a couple more. Yes. I would like to know more about um, this point, that sound carries consciousness. How is that, Guru Maharaj? 
Well, it's, it's a question that comes up at the um, beginning of a chapter of the Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam called Prayers by the Personified Vedas. It, it's a question that's been asked for millennia. And so this conversation uh, about the efficacy of sound vibration, how could it be effective? I'm framing it now what the conversation is. How can it be effective if the apparatus, the apparati, that we're using to receive it is material? The, the sound itself is apparently material also because, I mean, let's consider what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Bhumir apo anulo vayu kam mano bhujir evasha ahankara me binna prakriti rashtata. There's the material separated energies, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. These, he says, are my separated material energies. Beyond that, these, or above them, aparayam itastonyam prakritim vidime param jiva bhutam mahabaho ya yedam dharete jagat. There's the spiritual energy, entity, whose conscious being, who is categorically different from the aforementioned energies, which are material. And now, how in a material environment can you get um, spiritual sound? So one of the ways that uh, is helpful to conceive of it is uh, through the way that uh, matter is sometimes transformed itself. And if you take an iron rod and you put it into a hot fire and you leave it there for a long time, then the iron turns to fire. Have you ever seen that? If you go to a blacksmith, you'll see it. I've only seen a blacksmith once, and that's in Japan, high up in the mountains. It's a place called Takayama. And there's actually several of them. And I always always heard this this analogy given, Prabhupada gave it frequently, about how iron turns into fire. So then I noticed it the, at the blacksmiths, how they had put the iron rods into the fire, and I came back later, and they were glowing, and you couldn't tell the difference between the iron and the fire. They were the same. So there's a way in which uh, the material elements become transformed, and they become spiritual. There's evidence for this in the Bhagavad Gita as well. Krishna says, Brahmarpanam Brahmahavir Brahmagnau Brahmanohutam Brahmaiva Tenagantavyam Brahmakarma Samadina. So here's what he says, that everything that's a so-called material that you use in the service of Krishna, God, uh, transforms. Actually, everything comes from the same source. So from the perspective of the source or Krishna, it's all spiritual because it's all his energy. And matter is spirit covered over. So when, and, and remember, uh, it's called bhinna prakriti or separated energy. So when you uh, connect the energy to the source, then it becomes spiritualized. And that's what Krishna says. He gives the example of somebody doing a fire ceremony. Have you ever seen one of those? Where you're offering ghee in the fire and grains and so forth. So he says, the person who's sitting there, the priest who's doing the, the uh, ceremony, the people who are sitting around, the beneficiaries and 
putting in grains in the fire, the fire itself, the spoon, any of the paraphernalia, the bricks that are, because it's being connected, reconnected, it's transforming into spiritual energy. So this is the, the basis of, of the uh, presentation. But it comes down to a, a discussion in the Srimad Bhagavatam about whether God is personal or impersonal. So if he's personal, which is the contention of the Srimad Bhagavatam, and he's also uh, omniscient and omnipotent, then there's a way in which he can transform his own energies. And therefore, when we use a sound vibration, when it's employed in the service of Krishna, then he can transform it from material to spiritual. And he can also uh, transform the ear channels and everything else uh, so that we can have a connection to sound, a, a connection to spirit through sound. It, it becomes trans the material elements used in service of, of the source become spiritualized, and therefore we have this direct experience. So uh, to, to also just take another aspect of this, there's a way in which uh, we have a perceptual horizon that we can't overcome ourselves with our senses. There's only so far we can see with our naked eye, and it gets much less as you get older, believe me. And then uh, there's only... Uh, we can only see things that, that are at a certain size also. They get smaller and smaller. And uh, so with our blunt senses, it, uh, it's impossible for us to see uh, the supreme. What to speak of the fact that uh, we're considered as entities to be infinitesimal. Hare Krishna. Infinitesimal. So then... then um, the point is, the infinitesimal can't understand the infinite, but uh, the infinite can reveal itself to the infinitesimal, especially because it's infinite and all-powerful. And so this is the, the process that if one submissively uh, chants and uh, engages in the hearing the transcendental sound vibration, then Krishna helps to transform the energy and to reveal himself through that sound vibration. And there's a verse in the, uh, one of the ancient scriptures that says, Atashri Krishna Namadi Nabaved Graham Indriye Seva Mukhi Spratida, which is that we can't understand God with our blunt senses, but if we serve him, starting with our tongues by making transcendental sound vibration with our tongue, then he'll be pleased to reveal himself to us. So that's a, some of the framework of the process. Sound vibration is highly revelatory. Is that the right word? It reveals itself? Anyone? Okay. So, yeah. Consider uh, a few ways that sound is used to reveal that we, what we can't see in this world. For instance, uh, ultrasound. Anyone? Have you used ultrasound, anyone? Yeah? Did it work? <laughs> so you could see inside the body, right? And you can't see it with your normal eyes, but the sound vibration goes in, and then it gives a, a, a 
a uh, sketch of what is beyond the vision. Then there's also sonar. Ocean's really hard to see. It's, it's very deep, and in some places it's a little murky. Oceanographers say they've only categorized, uh, cataloged 10% of the varieties of life that are in the ocean. And it's hard to see in there, but sonar goes into the ocean and it reveals what's, what's there. It's sound vibration. And it, it resonates and then it gives the information. So the mantra is, uh, it re the mantra reveals our spiritual nature. And so when we chant the mantra, it resonates with the higher energy that we are. That's the soul. And then we're able to perceive ourselves as separate from the body, as a, as a very entry-level uh, aspect of the process of uh, revelation through the practice of bhakti yoga. Okay, we have one last question. I just have a comment, actually. Uh, okay. I was just going, I mean, I also went along with Devavata Prabhu and uh, Chaitanya Kripa Prabhu for the Parikrama. Initially, I was a little hesitant to go because I was afraid that I'll get really tired and I won't be able to walk for the next one week or so. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, it was, I almost sent him a message saying that I won't go and then I thought at the last minute, you know, okay, let me try, let me go. And I went and I was hoping that, I knew that I, I was thinking that I may get tired and I may not walk. When the whole parikrama happened, I was still feeling, I was feeling still energetic. I was thinking, okay, let's, we can do another one. <laughs> So I was just remembering the point that you made that uh, the last class or some, you're mentioning that how when someone goes to a parikrama, it never happens that they're unhappy and you know it's like they're always happy or peaceful. I was just thinking that I mean it was just uh, it was just uh, such a spiritual experience actually just to see that <laughs> whole thing actually. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. So it's oftentimes the mind tells us that. Uh, you're not going to be happy reading Bhagavad Gita because there's so many other things you have to do. You have to answer emails and how about polishing your shoes or calling your mother. She needs a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. But if uh, at that very moment when we're able to cross the threshold of uh, uh, go over that obstacle and pick up the Bhagavad Gita, then the mind naturally feels, oh, what was I thinking? I feel so satisfied here. That's why it's important to have association because, uh, and a schedule, so we get carried along and continue to do the things that are good for us because the default is for the mind to drag us away and go back into the sleeping mode in the material world and just be distracted. You know, when you're about to have a baby, you start looking at your house differently because you see how far a baby can reach at a certain age. And when they're a certain age, they grab everything. Back me up on this, anybody who has a kid. Only two people? Okay. <laughs> yes, he's five months old. <laughs> and so... People, parents, baby-proof their house. They look around and they see, oh, you know, she's going to pull that down for sure, and that's going to go in her mouth, and so on. So they go around and they move everything to higher ground, or they just get rid of it. 
And so similarly, there's a way in which you talked about using one's intelligence. You have to be preemptive because like there's a story in the Bhagavatam about how if you catch a wild animal and then you think it's tame. It's like, oh, he's so cute, you know, and they leave, leave the cage open. It's like, hey, did you hear? Everyone in the Rogers' family got mauled last night, <laughs> killed. But it was such a cute little bear. You know, it's like, it's a wild animal. So uh, the mind is like that also, says the Bhagavatam. You have to be a little careful because if you think it's okay now, I'm liberated. That's just when the cage is open and the little uh, wolverine-like mind, I changed it to wolverine now, it comes out and just tears everything up. So th we can think ahead. Uh, what network do we want to pre-program to do and which ones do we want to get rid of altogether so that it doesn't connect ever? Or uh, being uh, aware that there's there are certain items that within my reach will lead to my peril. I have to keep them out of my reach ahead of time when I'm in a, in a sound state of mind. It's like one thing I've realized, I'm not the same person in the morning as I was at night. Have you ever noticed that? Like, who was that again? Who was I <laughs> way back then? So it's, it, it, it's helpful to me to set up my environment at night before I go to, before I go to bed. Whatever my good intentions are, act on them then put them all in place, so then when I wake up, I'm like, who did this? Who put this all out? Thank you. And then uh, I, I have a track that I'm on. Actually, I wrote down something recently. Uh, it was for myself. Go to bed hungry. Always go to bed hungry. Go to bed hungry and wake up with a prayer and a plan. Do you like it? So I was fishing for compliments. Okay, a prayer and wake up with a prayer and plan and go to go to bed hungry. That's my ultimate advice for today. And then uh, you'll be happy. A good plan.